This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong. I have the pleasure of being here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, both representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you? I'm great. I'm tracking a spitting cobra, a, a bear in a tree, some wolves. Yes. Like we, The nature is coming life. after us. <laughs> I, I feel like this has been uh, some sort of guerrilla marketing by the uh, the zoo in yes. North Carolina to try and get us motivated to see all these different wild animals. But yeah, it's it's been a weird. You you saw the bear? You saw I, the bear? I went and yes, I went on a bear hunt. I didn't take jelly donuts, but apparently I should have. <laughs> or just don't travel around with jelly donuts. Yeah. That could be uh, that could be a recipe. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm fresh off a of vacation, so just trying to get my mind off the beach and back where it needs to be. <laughs> well, very good. You know, speaking of uh, mental health, we're going to have a show themed around mental health today and our aging population. And we're going to start out with a conversation about emotional and behavioral aspects of mental health. And we are very pleased to welcome Dr. Akua Jackson, the Director of Psychotherapy for Senior Health and Education Partners. Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me today. You know, as we age, there's many new life experiences and unique challenges that our aging population faces. What are some common issues that you see in your work? Um, well, first of all, we go into long-term care facilities and provide the mental health services in the facilities. So we are working with individuals who have lost um, independence. They're used to living on their own. So the first thing that is usually something that we uh, work on is the fact that, that they're no longer living on their own and there's this loss of independence. They've been an adult for a large portion of their life now, and now they have other people calling the shot. So mm -hmm. adjusting to living at a facility of such is the first thing. So along with that comes some sadness or depression um, about loss of, of their um you know, rights and things like that in their mind. Also some anxiety as well about into a new facility, having a roommate that you don't know that it's a complete stranger. Mm -hmm. So the main thing that I would say they experience with that particular population is losing their independence and some associated depression and or anxiety mm -hmm. if it was not already, you know, there. Right. Would you say that behavioral health and mental health, are, are they interchangeable? Um, I would say somewhat. I mean, based on our emotions is going to kind of, and our response is how we're going to behave. So if I am anxious, I'm going to behave in a certain way that you're going to say, okay, she's a little nervous. If I'm feeling sad or depressed, I'm going to behave in another way. So they are definitely very related. Definitely. Have you seen COVID bring more attention to these issues that we're facing as a public health crisis across our nation? Absolutely. 
COVID impacted um, the aging community in so many ways, especially long-term care and skilled nursing facilities. These are people that as they age, there's always normal cognitive decline. You may sometimes kind of stop and think about a word that used to be there and it's on the tip of your tongue and you can't just can't access it. Um, or it may be, you know, more significant cognitive decline in terms of dementia or some related, you know, memory issue. So those during COVID, of course, with memory, those that have been diagnosed with dementia, you want to keep things as similar as you can seeing common, you know, people that they know, familiar faces, relatives. And because of COVID and the restrictions in the facilities, rightly so, family members were not able to visit. They're not, they're not seeing their loved ones. They're not seeing familiar faces. And a lot of people declined a lot more in terms of dementia. And then for those who did actually, um, you know, become, have COVID themselves, there's some, what they say, some brain fog associated mm -hmm. with COVID. Um, and they're talking about brain changes after having COVID. So mm -hmm. it impacts them in terms of socially of not being able to see their families. A lot of times in these um, assisted living communities, the residents were able to kind of come and go as they please, go to the store, have a weekend out with their families. And once COVID hit, that stopped immediately. Um, it took a while for them to even have, like, window visits with their family. And that's just not the same if you can't hug your loved one. So they were impacted significantly that some people described it as be, feeling like they were in prison. And it's nothing against any of the long-term care facilities. They mm -hmm. were just following CDC or state regulations. Right. But, you know, just imagine how we felt, even those of us who could get in our cars and go somewhere, but they had that, that was not an option for them. A lot of the, you know, the long-term care facilities, the staff were impacted by COVID by, you know, if they were COVID positive. So that meant that the facility was short staffed and the things that they could initially do, they could do even less because they had less staff members. So it impacted us all, of course, as a, as a world, but the long-term care facilities, even more so with the residents not being able to have the, you know, freedom that they did have. Absolutely. Uh, so we're talking a little bit about on this episode, too, we'll be talking about some social isolation and some of the issues that those can bring on. So kind of as a positive about moving into a facility, maybe pre or post COVID now, have you seen some patients that have improved when they move into a facility? Maybe they were isolated at home? Um, I haven't noticed that yet um, in terms of those who were home and are now coming into the facility. Um, for the ones that I have seen and gain as a new client since COVID, those are the ones that are probably not as concerned with COVID. They're mm -hmm. more concerned with, I want to go back home. Mm -hmm. I lived on my own. I can take care of myself. So it's working with them on kind of normalizing that, you know, age-related decline is real and kind of processes with them their current abilities and being able to sit with that. Um, but they're still, you know, 
those that were home and are now in the facility, then you're back to the normal kind of adjustment type um, things that you're working on. Definitely. Have you found that depression and other mood disorders have an impact on other chronic illnesses? In general, are you saying in terms of COVID? In general, any, do you see that these mental health issues and some of the aspects of them have effect on, say, you know, someone who's already declining due to chronic heart failure or Mm -hmm. COPD? Do you see that those things um, escalate that? Oh, oh, absolutely. For those who have, you know, more um, coping strategies in general that have been able to deal with stresses throughout their lives, those are the people who are going to be a little bit better functioning um, overall mm-hmm. when you're encountering new stressors. But when you want to add in a diagnosis of cancer or add in a diagnosis of, of you know, congestive heart failure or something like that, like, of course, our bodies and minds are very connected. You know, and if, if mentally we're not able to cope with things, then, you know, it's going to affect us physically as well and vice versa. You know, for example, if we're not getting adequate sleep, that's going to impact our mood. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think of times that you've been sleep deprived, of times that you're super duper hungry. You're not in the best mood. Mm-hmm. So, of course, our physical response or our physical body is going to definitely impact our mental health and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Are there any final tips that you could suggest to caregivers or who are communicating or engaging with their loved ones who are dealing with these issues? I would definitely recommend um, all people are are engaging in self-care. It is a lot being the caregiver, even if your loved one is in a long-term care facility. Mm -hmm. There's sometimes guilt associated with not being able to provide the care and having for them to have to go to a facility. So definitely take care of yourself first. It's kind of you think about when you're you know, flying, and they say, put your mask on first before you assist anyone else. Mm -hmm. You do need to be able to take care of yourself so you can then give that same care to someone else. So understanding what that person is going through, kind of educating yourself on what that loved one is going through. You know, I mean, I am a psychologist, and I'm definitely going to promote therapy, but, you know, Speaking to someone about your stressors, like seeking help is not a sense of weakness. It's actually a sense of strength. And being able to assist your loved one, you may need some help in that as well. And seeking assistance for your loved one. You know, we do have companies like us who are going into the facilities to provide them with the mental health services. It's not any additional. You don't have to take them anywhere. We're going to them. So take advantage of those resources to get your family to help and get yourself help as well. Yeah, that's a great sentiment. She is Dr. Akua Jackson, Director of Psychotherapy for Senior Health and Education Partners. If you want to find more about them online, you can go to shaepartners.com, shaepartners.com. Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Now we're taking a quick break, and we'll be back with more. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News talk traffic. Hey, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can go online anytime to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. We are continuing our look at mental health issues in our aging population, and we are now going to talk about the pharmacological side. I have to you know, break out my uh, phonetic spelling to make sure that I don't <laughs> screw that one up. But uh, as, as I can barely get that word out, we obviously need an expert here to guide us along the way. And that expert that we have on the line is Dr. Carol Gibbs, psychiatrist and owner of Senior Health and Education Partners. Dr. Gibbs, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So this episode, we've kind of been talking about all things mental health. Um, so we know that depression and some of the other disorders we've been discussing in our previous segment aren't really widely talked about. And because of that, I can imagine that a lot of people go untreated or undiagnosed. Uh, Dr. Gibbs, is that a reality that you see in your practice? That's certainly a reality. Um, what we often find is that people resist coming to see a psychiatrist, possibly mm-hmm. because of the stigma associated with mental illness, possibly because that they might think that seeing a psychiatrist means they're automatically going to be started on medications mm-hmm. or a number of other things. But there are many reasons that um, a lot of psychiatric diagnoses go unnoticed or untreated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what we're here for. I'm a huge supporter of all things psychiatry. I see my therapist every other week. I think it's very healthy, and um, I am here to support all the erasing of stigma <laughs> in our community about this. It's such an important issue. Um, as a caregiver, are there signs and symptoms, before we dive into the management of mental health issues, are there signs and symptoms that a caregiver should keep an eye out for to know when it's time to ask for help? Sure, sure. So when you have a um, loved one that you're caring for or if you are a um, hired caregiver um, and you see a change in personality you see a change in behaviors you see a change in eating habits sleeping habits um, overall disposition um, someone that may have been social um, at one point for some reason becomes more withdrawn in the room more isolative they stop wanting to go to meals. They stop sleeping as well. Um, use, that needs to be a red flag. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're dealing with a mental illness, but um, we need to start thinking about it and explore what could be the possible um, reason for that. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest to a caregiver as kind of their first step in that process? So usually if someone's living at home and they're caring for someone out of the home or mm-hmm. even in a in a long-term care setting i would suggest that the primary care provider be consulted um, and uh, keep a running list of the different changes that you're seeing um, any of the psychiatric diagnoses that we see in adulthood even young adulthood we can also see in our aging population and so um, there often is an age range when we first diagnose 
some of these particular diagnoses, even, but even with that, some of the ones that are typically associated with a certain age range, you can see them starting in later life. So um, my recommendation is to keep a running list of what's seen, the signs and the symptoms, and, um, and then discuss it with the primary care provider. They're, they're trained to um, notice whether or not maybe this could be something dealing with a mental health concern and possibly refer to a, a, a mental health specialist. Um, some of them can treat, treat if it's, it's less severe, they can treat it on their own as well. Mm-hmm. When managing mental health issues with pharmacological treatments, what are some guiding principles that you use to help your patients? When I'm dealing with um, older patients in particular, we always um, think less is more. Mm. Um, so in the aging population, we um, see that the medication can be metabolized differently, often are metabolized mm-hmm. differently. Often um, we, we start at the very lowest strength, strengths that you would not even begin thinking would be effective or therapeutic in the younger population. And your baseline would be thinking that um, the goal would be no medications whatsoever. So we start with the lowest possible strength and we start with one. If, if necessary, um, we then will titrate very slowly and gradually, monitoring for potential side effects, um, drug-drug interactions. As, the, as people age, they tend to be on more medications, so we have to really consider whether or not the medications are interacting with other medications they are, they're taking. Um, a lot of the psychiatric medications, unfortunately, can lead to um, sedative effects, so making people a little bit more sleepy. They can sometimes impact their ability to ambulate, uh, falls. Sometimes we see that um, associated with the medications. And you can see that in the older population in general. So we have to be very careful about any type of um, side effects that would be more detrimental to someone as they get older than um, in the younger population, as well as um, drug interactions. Definitely. So I know you mentioned um, that before you would kind of try pharmaceuticals or go in the pharmacological route to treat um, some of these issues that you kind of try to start with without any of those inter- interferers in there. So what is a point that someone should look for or, you know, what things can people look for when they might want to consider, hey, we may need the assistance of some uh, pharmaceuticals to help manage this? Uh, there, there are a few things we look for. Well, one in particular would be if they had tried other avenues, um, behavioral approaches, um, therapy, talk therapy. Mm-hmm. If someone's able to participate in that, um, managing environments. If they have just have tried all of those options and not been successful in alleviating the the signs and symptoms, then we sometimes turn to the the uh, medication route. The other time that we would consider medications right off the bat is if the symptoms, um, signs and symptoms were much more severe and potentially dangerous. So, mm-hmm. so for example, if we had someone who um, wasn't eating at all mm-hmm. or refusing all of their medications or um, uh, couldn't sleep at all um, or getting very little sleep and it was impacting their ability to function day to day. Sometimes we will 
start medications um, while at the same time uh, using other approaches, but we start it without, uh, we start it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So for caregivers, you know, you've mentioned um, facilities, our long-term care facilities. For caregivers who have a loved one in a facility and are seeing some of these things, and um, how do you suggest they ask for help in a facility and, and seek assist- assistance to, for their loved ones and to manage their mental health issues? Um, it's important to know that in the long-term care setting, loved ones often are really not as exposed to the um, behaviors and signs and symptoms as the staff working in the communities. So it's really important to talk with the people that see their loved one day to day to see what they've noticed, to see the changes. What we often look for um, is a change. So, So if someone, say for example, was never very talkative, never really wanted to socialize much, wasn't a, a big eater. And this is what the staff identifies to, to their loved one as um, what they're seeing. The loved one could tell them, well, that's, they've always been like that. They've never really been a social person. They've never really eaten much. And, and so it's good to have that communication so the staff recognizes that. Mm-hmm. However, if the staff notices that someone there had been very social, participating in activities, had been going to all the meals, had been sleeping well, and then there was a, a, a drastic change. That um, is really important to communicate um, with the um, facility staff and uh, between the facility staff and loved ones to talk about you know what what is what has possibly triggered this change, what could be contributing, and then. From there, speak with the primary care provider about um, looking at possible medical causes because we do have to investigate medical reasons. And then if uh, those are all ruled out, potentially addressing any potential mental health concerns. Yeah, having that strong line of communication is key. We are speaking with Dr. Carol Gibbs, psychiatrist and owner of Senior Health and Education Partners, and we've got more questions for her right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. Our guest on the line is Dr. Carol Gibbs. Dr. Gibbs is a psychiatrist and owner of Senior Health and Education Partners. We are continuing our theme today of mental health and we are speaking more specifically on the uh, pharmacological management of mental health issues and uh, this has been a very informative discussion with Dr. Gibbs so we're going to continue with our questions here. 
So Dr. Gibbs, you mentioned earlier um, about interactions. So I can imagine that prescribing for mental illness can really be a challenge, um, especially since so many older adults have multiple other prescriptions. They're managing a lot of chronic illnesses sometimes, like COPD or CHF. Are there any interactions or things that you should worry about or keep an eye out for when starting medications? Yes, definitely. So when we're starting any type of medication, we always want to see what other medications the person we're treating is taking. And um, psychiatric medications in particular um, can have interactions with some of the, the medications they take for medical reasons. The other piece is that the psychiatric medicine sometimes can impact um, physical, actual physical illnesses. So, for example, if someone is already unsteady in their gait, starting them on a psychiatric medicine can sometimes intensify that. Sometimes our uh, medications can impact um, um, appetite or sleep. Um, the other thing that we try to uh, recognize is that some of the psychiatric medicines we can prescri- we prescribe can impact their um, metabolic functioning. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we, we prescribe antidepressants that can sometimes lead to a condition where um, it impacts their level of sodium. So we have to watch their sodium levels. There are types of psychiatric medicines that we prescribe that can impact their, um, um, well, we have to check blood levels because they can become toxic on it at certain levels or mm-hmm. it can, uh, with lower amounts, it'll be, it won't be therapeutic. So we really have to do a lot of monitoring of what else they're taking. Um, sometimes we don't really know. We could, we, could, we could see that someone's on a medication, a psychiatric medicine that can impact their sodium levels, but they also take another medication that is for physical reasons that could impact um, their sodium levels. So we have to do a, 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 a challenge of, of tapering off one mm-hmm. if benefits outweigh risks or risks are not um, um, too high and see if that might be the culprit. So it's a little bit of a, a dance in, in terms of trying to figure out medication interactions and um, how someone responds. Mm-hmm. For those of uh, that are listening that don't understand what polypharmacy or some of these things that are talking about that you are talking about uh, is, can you explain to them polypharmacy and some of those risks and um, how how a caregiver can keep an eye out and thinking about what medications um, we could taper down? Sure. So, so with polypharmacy, poly meaning many, pharmacy is the pharmacy, the medication. So many medications. As someone gets older, it's uh, not uncommon that they develop more health issues and have more medical providers involved in their care. And with that, it, you tend to see more prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, as those numbers of prescriptions increase, so does the risk of interaction between medications. And that's why when I had mentioned less is more, if we can get someone on a lower amount of medication and do well, that's better. Um, so we're always trying to look for ways that we can simplify their medication um, while also making sure that all of the, the uh, medical issues are being managed appropriately. Mm-hmm. So as a caregiver, I, you know, your loved one may have just been prescribed um, 
medication to assist with management of their mental health, what are some things that they should be looking for or monitoring after starting that new medication? Well, following, we, we tend to see side effects from medications um, usually pretty soon after starting a medication. So it's always really important to monitor for mm-hmm. potential medication side effects um, and adverse reactions. If you're a caregiver and you are not present in the home and there's not someone present mm-hmm. in the home, um, it's really important to monitor uh, medication compliance. Mm-hmm. As um, people get older, sometimes their memory um, is not as good. And so it's not uncommon for us to see um, people as they have more complicated medication regimens, mm-hmm. they have difficulty keeping up with it. And so um, as a prescriber, if I see someone in an office setting, I'm always very cognizant of this and make sure that um, they have very written, very simple written instructions that are easy to follow. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate piece is that sometimes with the number of different medications and sometimes with medication changes, sometimes it's a we have a, a, a comp- more complicated regimen where we have to taper someone or slowly bring someone off of one medication and then slowly start them on another versus giving them the typical dose since our doses are smaller. Um, we have to start very low and then titrate up. And so that can become more complicated. Sometimes we have to also split dosing mm-hmm. because they can't tolerate the full dose in one, so we want to split it multiple times a day, you can imagine that that would impact compliance because someone taking something more frequently, just like any of us doing things, having to do things more frequently during the day, we're more susceptible to forgetting um, to to do it. So missing a dose might be um, problematic. I always recommend in my older um, clients, pill box, pill reminders, Mm -hmm. pill alarms, um, very clear instructions on simple instructions on how to take medications because compliance can be a major issue. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I, I really encourage caregivers to pay attention to is, for example, driving or things, uh, activities um, that could potentially be unsafe and, and increase um, the, the problems because of the um, side effects side effects potentially associated with the medication. So driving would be one of them. Mm-hmm. If I prescribe something that potentially makes someone sleepy, um, that could that could impact their ability to drive. So just looking at those activities of daily living and how the medications might impact that. Excellent. Dr. Gibbs, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you sticking around with us and bringing some wonderful insight when it comes to mental health issues and also making sure that we've got our medicines and medications dialed in. Again, she is Dr. Carol Gibbs, psychiatrist and owner of Senior Health and Education Partners. If you want to find more about them online, you can go to shaepartners.com. S-H-A-E-Partners.com. Dr. Gibbs, again, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you all. Have a good day. 
Well, we're going to have a conversation about social isolation and uh, the effects of loneliness in just a bit. But before we get to get that, uh, there's another great resource that folks need to know about, Mary, and uh, the Caregiver Summits. I'm excited. It's coming. It's coming. Yay. Save the date. We want everyone to save the date. Caregiver Summit is coming back. Uh, We are doing both in person and virtual uh, this time around. We want to give caregivers like yourself to uh, an opportunity to connect in person for those who are are willing and able. It's going to be, we're going to follow all the CDC and COVID guidelines on spacing and large rooms, lots of space in between chairs and exhibitors. Um, Some of the great uh, people who have joined us on the show are going to come um, and mm-hmm. set up tables as exhibitors. I know, Sam, you've you've always enjoyed that section. I have, yes. Um, so the, there'll be lots of great resources for caregivers to attend in person. But if you're not comfortable attending in person, it, it will also be virtual, which we're very excited to have that opportunity to share. So save the date, September 15th. Uh, it is going to be a half day in the morning from 8 until about noon. It will be at the McKimmon Center on NC State campus, Centennial Campus, McKimmon Center in Raleigh. Well, there are going to be two uh, content kind of tracks or areas, and you can jump in and out of sessions. You don't have to stay on one track, but we're going to cover all the things dementia-related, uh, and we're also going to be talking about caring for your loved one at home in a post-COVID setting. So um, more to come with our great speakers, and I'm super excited I'm to have Caregiver to Summit. It. Yes, yes, I'm so excited to be back. Always an exciting event, and we will have more details as we get closer, so be sure to Tune in every week, and we'll be sure to feed you those as well. When uh, registration is open, we'll certainly let you know about that as well. Taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we are continuing on our discussion related to mental health, and we are now focusing on a different facet of that. And I think we can all kind of relate a little bit to the effects of loneliness and isolation uh, due to COVID-19 and a lot of the quarantining that we had to do. But this is something that uh, has always affected the senior population. And we want to talk some more about the signs and symptoms of loneliness on our senior population. So to have a thoughtful discussion on that, we are pleased to welcome in Sean Cothran. Sean is the Senior Placement Specialist that always best care. Hey, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yes, thank you for having me. You know, Sean, you're the expert in this. And Jason, you brought up a great point. COVID has really put us all in this situation over the last couple of years. And we know that there are many factors that cause loneliness and isolation in seniors. But Sean, have you seen this uh, issue become more and more prevalent since COVID? Absolutely. I mean, even before COVID, isolation with seniors was very difficult. Um, but I think a lot of people noticed it a little bit more when they were isolated in their own mm-hmm. homes and something as simple as going out to the grocery store was, wow, look where we're at. <laughs> um, that's, that's where a lot of our senior population has been 
for, for a long time. If you can't drive or if just driving is that difficult or you have to rely on a ride, um, everything that they've been going through, we kind of had a taste of during COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it was eye-opening, but I think it was also very difficult, even more difficult for our senior population because all the services that they had to kind of help support, whether it was volunteer services or going out to the senior center, um, all of those were closed. So they were even more isolated than they were before mm-hmm. and making it very difficult to to really help support and just it, even now, like I, I was talking to someone about like shaking somebody's hand right mm-hmm. now was it, it's like it's like giving somebody a kiss on the lips. Like it's so intimate. it really is. <laughs> it was, it, uh, but it, it's really cool. So you shake somebody's hand, you just want to immediately give them a hug. It's like, wow, we're, we're out of this. And it was it's interesting to see the effects when when you have a senior that has been at home for so long and, and struggling and not not having that connection and then when they finally get it it brings tears to your eyes and and that's something that i think we all need to really focus on because they need our help a lot of seniors they can't do things for themselves they've they've lost their spouse they their children are moved away um they're no longer really the head of the family anymore um and a lot of them feel like they're a burden to ask for any help mm-hmm. or they're embarrassed about the things that they've, they've been struggling with, um, making mistakes or anything like that. And, and really I just, I wanted to kind of touch on some of the things that we can all do to help our help, not just our loved ones, not just our parents, but seniors that lived in our neighborhood, um, go by and have a conversation with them. I mean, don't be intrusive or weird, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. um, but greet them. Um, Drop off some cookies. Ask them how they're doing. And a lot of times whenever you ask somebody that is, is struggling or lonely or just really is, is kind of in the dumps, you ask how you're doing, their answer is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're right. not going to tell you that, you know what, I, I, I can't really use the oven anymore. Exactly. Um, when, you ask, when you ask somebody, hey, did, did, if I ask my mom, hey, did you eat today? And she says, yeah. Okay, well, what did you eat? Right. <laughs> so it's, it's asking follow-up questions because there's a lot of masking, and you really don't see it because we're not looking for it. And what I find a lot is usually around holidays when, when people are getting together with their loved ones and they're finding out that, okay, well, you're asking some follow-up questions, but mom's been fine for, for the past two years. Well, no, she hasn't. Just when you were asking her questions, she said, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Or when she's nodding or, or something like that during a conversation, but she's not really engaging, that, that may be a time to kind of look at the hearing aids. Um, is she hear, is, are they hearing okay? Because that's a, a huge link to cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't really realize it because we don't take the time to listen. We don't, we don't ask the follow-up questions. Um, no news is good news a lot of the times. But we need to kind of train ourselves to focus a little bit more on that. Definitely. So you mentioned that masking can hide a lot of this, but what are some of the other maybe more obvious symptoms to keep an eye out for when you're caring for a loved one? Uh, stop When people stop doing some things that they were doing before, like going to church, mm-hmm. uh, going to the senior center, um, cooking, uh, cooking is a big one as well. Uh, when they stop really caring about the newspaper, there may be something going on with their eyes or their comprehension of reading the newspaper. Um, medication management, that's a big one as well. But a lot of it, it, it's the little things that you don't really notice. But as far as those are some pretty good signs and symptoms. 
if somebody stops wanting to cook, but they've always loved cooking, if they stop doing something that they had a passion for before, you got to ask yourself why. If it was gardening and now that their their flower beds aren't working, why is that? Are their hands hurting? Is it just too much to be outside, or are they afraid because they almost fell? Mm-hmm. So it, you got to ask those follow-up questions. If somebody makes a, a change in behavior, could be a number of different things, and you got to ask those questions. If you see somebody that has a change in their um, in their mood, a drastic change in their mood, I can tell you pretty much 90% of the time it's a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. It affects seniors a lot different than it affects us. Um, it doesn't really burn when they pee. Um, it, mm-hmm. it actually will will change their their personality. And people can think it's a stroke. They can think anything. But I'm telling you, 90% of the time, it's a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you deal with these but, patients and families every day, and this is what you're an expert in. Can you provide any other tips for those that are caring for someone who may be dealing with loneliness or that they can see some of these symptoms happening? Um, what other tips or resources can you provide for these caregivers? So um, some of the some of the best resources I can give is, if they can get a friend, um, they have adult care homes. They, I mean, adult care um, daycares mm-hmm. that people can go to. They have senior centers. They have assisted livings, independent livings, memory cares. Um, there's there's a difference between me going to my my parents and empathizing and, and talking about the loss of a loved one or loss of a spouse or the fact that you can't see as well as you used to be able to or your physical attributes or not being able to have the same house you had or the garden you had, all these things that, that you start struggling with, I can empathize, but I don't know what it's like to move into an assisted living. I don't know what it's like to lose my wife. I don't know what it's like to, to lose a lot of these things. But talking to a friend, somebody that's your own age, somebody that's going through it, that's something that we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you're talking to a, a family or a caregiver or somebody else that's in there that's speaking to you and, and they're there to help you, but it's different than talking to a peer. Definitely. Um, so I think any, any groups that you can be a part of, I think purposeful living is one of the main keys. Um, like this, this show today, I'm not going to lie. I was nervous. I was very nervous. <laughs> I, I haven't felt that nervous. In a, <laughs> well, but I haven't felt that nervous in a long time because right. it's, it's, it's important. Right. Mm-hmm. And you got to think, OK, when was the last time that your mother or your grandmother felt that nervous about completing a task or anything like that? Right. And it may be something as simple as driving up to the store. Maybe it, it's all in your own perception. But having a, a group or having something, a, a gardening club or a, a bridge club or something like that, that you can mm-hmm. be a part of that, that you're going to and, and you're doing something now. I, I love we used to do a program. Um, when I was an executive director in Nightdale, that we had the residents go over and speak to the school, the elementary mm-hmm. school. And then they had pen pals, and it was great. And the residents yeah. felt so great. When they came back from the elementary school, they would tell me about, oh, yeah, we did this, we did this. Um, and I'm not allowed to say any names, but I did have a resident that had a prosthetic leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, he said, hey, kids, you want to see something really funny? Ah. <laughs> so... so so he took off his leg and he held it up and he said, what do you think of that? And they said, hey, hey, Jimmy, he's got one like you. So one of the kids in the elementary school had a prosthetic leg, too. He took his off. I thought that was the cutest thing. That was something that was so meaningful. Right. That's and so sweet. 
everybody there. Everybody benefited. Mm-hmm. So if we can just get together a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I think between kids talking to our seniors about how life was 70 years ago mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, we used to farm and we would do this. And now kids are talking about what we do. We farm on a tablet. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but just making that connection, because it seems like there's it's worlds apart, but that's that's what makes it fun. Definitely. So I, I think definitely engaging in uh, pen pal programs, school programs, uh, finding a, a, a way to have a purposeful life and, and feel that purpose, feel that pride again of what you're doing. I think that's that's the most important thing. Man, and, and I do think, I mean, as far as cognitive decline, making sure that we're keeping an eye out on somebody so they don't end up locking themselves out of their house one day mm-hmm. or get lost and... and I mean, these things happen, and a lot of times they happen out of denial or just not asking follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to ask follow-up, uh, too many follow-up questions because you don't want to, to disrespect somebody. You don't want them to feel like you're, you're intrusive, but sometimes you've got to ask the right questions, and you can do it nice, but you've got to make sure that you're, you're following up. You've got to be present in the conversation, I guess. <laughs> That's the best way I can mm-hmm. say it. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, Sean, and uh, also being aware of what to look for. And we thank you so much for sharing some uh, items that we can all look out for when it comes to our senior loved ones. He is Sean Cothran, Senior Placement Specialist with Always Best Care. You can go online to alwaysbestcare.com to find more information. We are out of time for today. I want to thank all of our guests for helping us out. I hope you enjoyed the theme of mental health on today's show. If you missed any part of this episode, be sure to go back to WPTF.com. Click on the podcast section and there you'll find the Aging Matters section and you can listen to this show as well as all of the other shows related to Aging Matters. Out of time for today. We hope you will join us again next Saturday at 4 for Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.